the premise and framework of this series is probably going to last about five or six weeks and is based on a wee group of verses in Acts 27. And I would love to say that I drew the concept of this series out myself, but it was from a, a youth event I was at a number of years ago, and God just planted it in my mind, and I re- feel really led to unpack it over the coming weeks. So just to paint a bit of a picture before I read a couple of verses in Acts, and then we're going to read uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we have Paul, and Paul is a man who has, a, has had this mighty transformation He's met God powerfully and he used to persecute Christians and now he is sharing the gospel. He's sharing the good news. He's a mighty man of God. And uh, within that, there was lots of opposition to what he was doing and there was plots to kill him. And the part that we're going to read, he's been arrested and he's making his way to Rome. He's making his way to Rome to face charges that have been brought against him and to stand before Caesar. So he's faced brutal opposition but he's still drawing close to God. And then we see he's on a boat and we see him on this journey across the sea and a great storm approaches that grips them actually for 14 days. Can you imagine being on a boat in a storm for 14 days? And I just want to read a couple of verses. It won't be up on the screen. Uh, On Acts 27, 39 to 44, it says this, just picking up uh, from this storm. When daylight came, They did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The boat stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. And this is the, this is the bit we want to hone in on. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So the storm was raging. The soldiers wanted to kill these prisoners, but the centurion wanted to protect Paul. And he ordered those those who could swim, go for it. Those who have got it in them, go for it. Get ashore, get to safety. The rest were to grab pieces of the ship to reach the land safely. When the storm was raging, when things were falling apart before their eyes, where it was unrecognizable where they were going, where they were headed, they grabbed pieces of the ship. I wonder what we do when we're in the midst of storms. And they come, don't they? We have seasons of of just just tough times where maybe there's illness or sudden surprises that catch us off guard or just long arduous seasons of where everything is a blur and it's just tough and we're just about coping and getting by with our head above above water. You know, some of us in those seasons, we might just be able to swim to shore ourselves, just as in the passage. But for Some of us here, it maybe feels really relentless. And I I want us to look at 
the next couple of weeks, pieces of the ship that we can hold on to. To unpack the pieces that I believe Jesus wants to remind us at Inverness Vineyard Church to grab hold of when tough times come. The pieces that with his presence and love uh, to protect us will allow us to get through and to see land again. To ride the storm and come out the other end with our faith in Jesus intact. And uh, there's quite a lot of pieces and there'll be different ones for different seasons that we look at. But this morning, I want to look at friendship. I want to look at friendship. Do you see what I've done there? The pieces of the ship, friendship. So you can probably guess the future ones in the coming weeks. But I want to look at friendship this morning. A piece of the ship that Jesus gives to us to, to help us. And we see in God's word the importance of friendship. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one. One falls down, the other helps him up. This piece of the ship is a precious one, as it should come out of a place of love, not duty. And it says, I have your back. And I want to look at, very briefly, at a friendship that flourished in the Bible that is special, that is sweet, and what we can learn from it this morning. And it's between Jonathan and David. So we're, we're going to read a couple of verses. So we have David, who's a man after God's heart, the greatest king of Israel, but before that, a shepherd boy, who comes before a giant, David and Goliath, and defeats him, and then becomes a commander over, uh, over the men of war under King Saul. But Saul gets jealous and he gets afraid of David because the amazing things are happening. David is in the grip of God's favor. He's seeing amazing things happen and Saul can't cope with it. The king eventually wants him dead. And all the while, David befriends a man called Jonathan, who is Saul's son. So you can see the, see the triangle there. You can see what's going on. Jonathan helps David and he gives him the heads up and he instructs him to go to safety. So the verse I want to read is 1 Samuel 20, 1 to 17. The, ver the verses will be on the screen behind me as well. And uh, why don't we pray before we do that? Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is a, it's a real source of nourishment to us. That it's, it's alive in these days. It's alive right now. It's alive in our situations. It's alive in our questions. It's alive in our hopes. And I pray that you will breathe life into us this morning through what we speak about. That you will breathe purpose. That you uh, will blow away the, any cobwebs, Lord. Holy Spirit, will you fill us up? Amen. So 1 Samuel 20. Then David fled from Naioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why should he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. 
Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? A popular song. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I am supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he'd been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. And then just to give you a little bit of what happens next, Jonathan makes a plan for David to hide and uh, he will tell him Saul's reaction. And at the feast, when uh, Saul sees David missing, he loses it. He kicks off a bit. He goes, he, he just loses it. He gets really angry and he ends up throwing a spear at his son. And Jonathan left the feast angry and his plan to reconnect with his friend worked. And I just want to pick up and read two verses at 41 and 42. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Amen. Now, I feel it kind of fitting if we're speaking of friendships to give you a little bit of a potted history of my friendships, some of the key friendships growing up uh, for myself. The first friend I remember uh, well, it's not the first friend I remember. One of the most significant friendships I had was a, a guy called David. And I sat next to David in hospitality. Would you believe it? I'd done hospitality. And if you've, known my, if you've tasted my cooking, you'd maybe wonder at that. But uh, I'd done uh, hospitality in fifth year. And he was the first of my friends that I remember having, you know, like proper belly laughs with. You know, the kind of laughs where you can't breathe and you're just in tears and you just continue laughing for the next hour and then you bump into each other again, you just start again without even speaking about it. He was the first one that kind of introduced me to that kind of humor. But also, and I think I've mentioned this before, which frightens me a bit, he introduced me to the musical genius of Celine Dion. <laughs> I remember... I sat next to him in hospitality and he whispered to me, you need to listen to this 
to Celine Dion. I said, I've never heard Celine Dion. The next week, he like snuck a CD under the table, and I went and listened to it, River Deep, Mountain High, what a tune. And uh, yeah, so we were good friends. We had similar humor, and uh, I realized that's pretty strange, eh? speaking of, anyway, my musical taste at that age. Also, I have a friend called Paul, uh, who I was friends with probably through most of my teenage years, and we would play loads of computer games together. So we'd play them a lot. And I remember one time we were in his bedroom playing a game called Command and Conquer. It was a one-player game, and uh, we'd have shots each on it. And we would get really, really competitive at this game. We'd have, we'd have a timer where we'd time, like, oh, it's your shot, it's your shot. And I remember it was, uh, it was his shot, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me have the controller back. His time was up, and there was a bit of tension. He said, I'm on a good bet. I can't do it. I need to get to the save point. I need to get to this point. And I was like, no, but the time's up. Your 15 minutes is done. And we ended up wrestling the controller, wrestling the controller for about two minutes. And then out of nowhere, a right hook came right onto my lip. And it was, I know, it was shocked. That's what I was like. And I remember just looking down, and I was just a bit shocked my friend would do this. And I looked down, and I seen a wee drip of blood, and I was, I was like, in my head, I was going, okay, I think I'm okay, but I'm going to milk this for all I've got. So I screamed, and I bawled. We were in his house, and I just, I just went, fell to the floor, and you know when you see those footballers that have those tags? I was like that. I was like, oh no, my face. And his parents came up, and he got into trouble, and then the next day, he came and apologized, but funnily enough, our friendship has never been the same eh, from that point on. And then I remember my friend Graham, we went to uni together. There was no one else from my school that went to university. And I remember going into our halls of residence. We were in the, the janitor's flat at the time. So we went in halls. We managed to get the old janitor's flat. So there was four rooms. Went into this uh, into the janitor's flat, and that was my room. And then I was trying to find my flatmates. They weren't there. So I snuck into this guy's room, and I was like, I can suss out if he's going to be decent or have a look at his DVD collection, see if he's got football boots. How often do we do that, by the way? As I was writing this, how often do we try and suss out, will this work, instead of actually investing uh, in, in who people are? But uh, he ended up being one of my best friends, is one of my best friends. I've known him 17 years. We meet once a year, at least with our families, and uh, it's just really special, really special. And then finally, we ha I have uh, two friends called Jamie and Danielle. When I was working at the bank, uh, they came over for a three-month placement from Belfast when I was in Aberdeen, and we just clicked. And they're the kind of friends, when you get back together, it feels like you've never been apart. Have any, anybody got friends like that? Just sweet, sweet friends. Friends are important, aren't they? And as I've been speaking about those people, you're maybe just recounting special people in your life as well. And we see as we ventured into this crazy church planting adventure, firstly with the friendships that we've left, you know, just really dear friendships that we built up and spent years investing with people, but also just mega excited with the friendships that we're making with people here in Inverness and our friends that have joined us on the way as well, that have came with us as well. And uh, friendships are, are really precious. And I want to look at three things that this piece of the ship helps us with our walks with Jesus, how friendship helps. So firstly, friends see what we can't see. I'm a, a fan of many sports. When I flick through television channels and I see sport, any kind of sport, I'm, I'm usually drawn in. There's two sports I, I just don't get. Firstly, cricket. 
I'd love to love cricket, but I just can't watch it. And then secondly, NFL, American football. I once went to a Super Bowl party when I was 17. The thing lasted six hours before the game actually started. And then the game was five hours. I was like, what is this? I just like 90 minutes, enjoy the game. But anyway, I want to share a quick video. And this guy is called the Get Back Coach. The Get Back Coach. And this is a guy that's employed by NFL clubs to protect the head coach. So let's have a quick look. It's about 30 seconds. Hopefully it'll come up. That is genuinely a thing. He is paid by the club to do that. Wow. <laughs> What's going on there? Friends see what we can't see. And that, that, that video just reminded me, you know, just like the manager is so engrossed in the game. We need friends that can see what we can't see and pull us aside and speak into our lives. In the good stuff and in the bad stuff. And we see this with Jonathan and David. David knows that Saul is trying to kill him. And it says in verse 1 and 2, What have I done? Your dad is wanting to kill me. But Jonathan says, never. Jonathan can't see it. He can't see it. And then again in verse 9, it says, never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? Jonathan couldn't see it. David could. A friend can often see sometimes, often see what we can't see. And we can't see everything. We can't see everything. Uh, in the insect kingdom, the dragonfly has 30,000 facets in its eyes. It can see all the way round. It can see all the way round, pointing different directions. They're all pointing different directions, every one of those 30,000 facets in its eyes. We need, a friend, we need friends to look and see and to look out, look the other way, cover what we can't see. To help us be all we can be in Jesus. We spoke last week about uh, pulling up weeds and planting seeds. We need friends that can do that, that point us to Jesus. That can pull up weeds and put us to one side and say, what's going on, mate? What was that about? That isn't, that isn't you. What's the matter? But also friends that can pull us to one side and say, I can see this in you. I'm going to call it out on you. There's a gift over your life. There's an anointing over your life in this. We need friends that can do that. I don't know who I was speaking to. I was speaking to the drums there. <laughs> you might not see this right now, but I can. We need get back friends, just like we have the get back coach. A friend that can shout, get back. Watch out, there's danger coming. Where are you headed? But also friends that can say, get back. Get back to who you are. Get back to who you're meant to be. Return. So friends, see what we can't see. Secondly, friends are in it together. 
They're in it together. I'm a, I love a good quote. I, I'm a stickler for a good quote. It, it, yeah, I just love quotes. It's good for the soul. And one, a, a quote I want to share this morning is, teamwork makes the dream work. Isn't that so true? Isn't that so true in our journey as a church? And isn't it so true in life? Teamwork makes the dream work. This is the, the one that I'm that's just living in me just now. We can't go this journey alone. We can't go this journey alone. When we are in a storm, we need friends to, to be with us, to journey it together with us. Whatever God has spoken and written over our lives and our futures, we will need God, we will need Jesus, we will need His relationship with us, but we also will need each other to accomplish it. And for some of us, there's maybe some of us sitting here this morning who have been let down time and time again, or been hurt maybe by people in the church, or people, uh, people at work, or family, and we know we're sitting on something of God. We know He's deposited and, and set, spoken to us about something, but we need to be in it together. We need to trust again, and that can be, that's maybe tough to hear for one or two of us, to trust again, to invest again, to go deep again. American pastor Rick Warren says this, authentic friendship is not superficial, surface-level chit-chat. It's genuine, heart-to-heart, sometimes gut-level sharing. It happens when people get honest about who they are and what is happening in their lives. They share their hearts, reveal their feelings, confess their failures, disclose their doubts, admit their fears, acknowledge their weaknesses, and ask for help and prayer. Authenticity is the exact opposite of what you find in our culture. Instead of an atmosphere of honesty and humility, there is pretending, role-playing, politicking, and superficial politeness and shallow conversation. As I was reading this, I was just praying, Lord, let us not journey there as a church. Let us not journey there as we gather on Sundays. Let us not journey there as we hang out as mates and have coffees. Let us not journey there as we have small groups across the city meeting when we say, how are we doing? Ah, fine. How are you? Ah, fine. Okay, you want a cup of tea? Aye, all right. Let's not journey there. People wear masks, keep their guards up, and act as if everything is rosy in their lives. These attitudes are the death of real friendship. It's only when we become open about our lives that we experience authentic friendship. And the Bible says if we live in the light, as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. If we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves. That's 1 John 1, 7 to 8. We pray very quickly. Is that okay? Lord, I pray for our friendships. Pray for everyone in this room right now, Lord. Will you help us to be real with one another and be real with you, Lord? Will you right now break chains of pride, Lord, of pretending, of role-playing, where if any of that is, is living in us, Father God, Help us be all that we can be in you. Please, Lord, by your Spirit. Pray for, for each and every one of us that this may be a moment where we yeah, just look at friendships a whole new way, as you do, Lord. And may you strengthen our, our church family as a result of it, Lord. May we be real as we come into your presence and before one another. May we have each other's backs. 
may we remember we're in it together. And where we've failed, Lord, where we've mucked up, we say sorry, Lord. Amen. Amen. David and Jonathan looked out for each other. They were in it together. In verse 5, we read David, he brings a strategy, a plan, and Jonathan is right behind him. And then he brings wisdom to the plan as well. They're in it together. It's teamwork. So are we we looking out for each other? Are we spurring each other on in Jesus? Are we encouraging vulnerability, accountability, real friendships that go the extra mile? Are we radical and not giving up on people that other people give up on? Perhaps some of us here this morning are fiercely independent. And the reality actually is God is speaking into that. He's speaking into that. We need each other. And that's why our vision for 2019, if you remember back in February when we shared, we wanted to make space. And one of those points was we want to make space at our tables. We want to make space at our tables. And that's why we do that silly little thing called two tables. People are like, what's that about? So we bring two tables together, two stories together. I seen a, a sermon a couple of years back of a pastor where he brought his kitchen table into church and huge dining table, huge kitchen table, and he brought it to the front of church and he shared a bit about this table. That's quite a, an effort. I was imagining doing that with ours, our Ikea one, and then kind of realized it probably wouldn't make it with my shoddy DIY, but anyway. But he brought this table to the front of church and he said, this isn't my table, this is my parents' table that was given to me. And he spoke about his parents. He spoke about how friend after friend after friend after friend, time and time and time again, were around that table. Time and time and time again, they shared the best and the worst of life moments together. Time and time again, they laughed and they cried. They debated, they ate, they dreamed, they prayed, they worshipped around that table. Jesus was at that table. I want to ask this morning, is he at ours? Is he at ours? Is he in our friendships? Are we drawing closer to Jesus when we spend time with friends? Or are we going further apart? And then just finally, friends prefer the other. Friends prefer the other. When I was chewing over this passage this week and asking God, what he wanted to speak about. We see examples of Jonathan preferring David over himself in this passage. If you think about it, Jonathan defending David, you know, his dad threw a spear at him. His dad was angry with him. And and Jonathan, in that sense, is giving up an awful lot by, you know, being for his friend, preferring his friend above himself. And I was trying to think, what would the opposite of that behavior be? And uh, it dawned on me, it would be Black Friday. Do you remember, you know Black Friday each year? It would be Black Friday, 9 a.m., Asda, 50 tellies, 50-inch tellies at 49 pound, 100 people at the door, 50 tellies, ready to get in. War. Kids are being trampled on. The fruit and veg is everywhere. They've got the, 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 the boxes over their heads, run into the checkouts. Every man for themselves. When we prefer the other in our friendships, let me tell you how Black Friday looks. It's like 
me and Mary, one TV left, the two of us. Actually, that's a bad example because we'd have the same TV. It'd be me and Sue, one TV left in Asda. They play the Western music, you know, the showdown music. The security guys are watching it on CCTV. They're like, oh, what's going to go down here? They're wondering what's going to happen. And then the first words are uttered by Sue. You have it, Thomas. It's okay. And then I go, oh, that's so nice, Sue. But really, you should have it. It would look great in your living room. It really would. It's a great television. And then she says, no, but I know that you really needed this TV. You have it. Honestly, you, and then it just goes on and on and on. And then by that time, somebody's nipped in between us, took the telly, and we're both left without a television. <laughs> in verse 17, it says, And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. And then, this is a key verse, and it brought it all together for me. Verse 34, He was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. When Jonathan found out that Saul, his dad, wanted David dead. He was grieved at that. But the timing of that is really significant because it was just before we have Saul trying to kill Jonathan. So after Jonathan, after Saul tries to kill Jonathan, Jonathan then goes on record to say he was grieved at his father's treatment, not of him, but of David. Wow. He's just had his dad try to kill him. But he's more concerned with what his friend went through than what he went through himself. What does that change for us? I wonder how many of us are so focused on our stuff where we have a friend actually who's really just needs us to step up and be there for them, to grieve with them, to reassure, to comfort, to celebrate, to cry. How would we spend our time? Who would we bless? Who would we love? Who would we look out for? How would we pray? It's radical and it's getting, it's getting rid of the world of me, whatever the world puts in our way or says we should or shouldn't do. I just want to share a story to close of the 1936 Olympics. Jesse Owens, he seemed sure to win the long jump at the 1936 Olympic Games. I think we've got an image uh, we could pop up. The year before, he had jumped 26 feet, a record that would stand for 25 years. As he walked to the long jump pit, Owen saw a tall, blue-eyed, blonde German taking practice jumps in the 26-foot range. Owens felt nervous. He was acutely aware of the Nazis' desire to prove superiority, especially over black people. At this point, a tall German introduced himself as Luz Long. You should be able to qualify with your eyes closed, he said to Owens, referring to his two jumps. For the next few moments, the black son of a sharecropper and the white model of Nazi manhood chatted. Then Long made a suggestion. Since the qualifying distance is only 23 feet, why not make a mark several inches before the takeoff board and jump from there just to play it safe? Owens did, and he qualified easily. In the finals, Owens set an Olympic record, and he earned the second of his four golds. The first person to congratulate him was Luz Long and in full view of Adolf Hitler. Owens never again saw Long. He was killed in World War II. This is what he says, You could melt down all the medals and cups I have and there wouldn't be a plating on the 24-carat friendship I felt 
for lose long. So good. As we looked at friends, nothing can compare with the friend we have in Jesus as we bring things to close. He is the ultimate. It's all through him. He chooses us. He doesn't need to choose us, but he longs to. Not only that, he longs that we not only love him in doing life, but that we love each other in doing life as well. We need him, and it's because of him that we love like this, that we pursue friendships like this. In John 15, 12, it says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You may be sitting here this morning a bit lost or even a bit lonely, a bit dry this morning. Jesus is our friend. He is here. And we are called as a church family to be there for one another. So I want to encourage us to invest, to not go it alone, to not do this journey alone, and to prefer the other. And if we commit to that, if we are pointing and pursuing Jesus in the storms, this piece of the ship, friendships, is so vital. It's so vital and it's so life-giving and it's so important. Why don't we stand?